Hello and welcome to another episode of the Californian in Exile. I'm your Californian in Exile, Jacob Lindsay, and um, I'm still working on getting a, a song for the show. So stay tuned. My uncle Paul, Paul Black, if you're interested, is um, going to be doing the recording for me because the song that I chose was not actually in the public domain, despite being owned by the Smithsonian Institute, which is, I guess, paid for by our tax dollars but we don't have the right to use the music that they own for our own purposes. So that, that kind of irritated me a little bit, but uh, I found an, a nice way around it, which is taking a song that was written in the 1800s and asking my uncle to perform it for me. And um, I'll be putting some, some links into his other stuff once I get the song done so that people can check it out and also maybe have him on the show at some point to talk about, uh, you know, growing up in the part of California I grew up in, or maybe some of his experiences in LA. So that's where he lives now. And he's lived for the, you know, better part of his life. So that, I thought that'd be kind of an interesting, uh, just an interesting conversation, but, uh, getting into what I want to talk about today, uh, you know, surprise, surprise, California's on fire again, which is, is very sad actually. And, um, seems to be more and more common. And I have another podcast, uh, tasting anarchy, which is, is a little bit more political and, then, then my intention is for this one. Although I think this show is probably going to end up being pretty political because that's a, a large part of my life. And also one of the things that has made it so that I don't want to go back to California is because I just don't think it's tolerable. The, the regime that is in control of the state right now. Um, but while I was doing research for my other show, you know, the, the current fires that are going on in California are near Napa Valley and Sonoma. And uh, that could cause some potential issues for the wine industry. But it reminded me uh, that uh, several years ago on on Tasting Anarchy, my other show, uh, I had covered one of the issues concerning fire in California, like what what it is about California that uh, caused it to have such frequent fires. When it is, you know, climate wise, in a lot of ways, very similar to Texas um, and and other states and the other states don't seem to have as big of a problem with that. And Mises.org, which is an economic website, had an article by uh, Christopher Wesley called California Wildfires Don't Have to Be the New Normal, where he kind of goes through some of the typical explanations for why California has so many fires and then also why other states that might have similar climates don't have them as frequently. And uh, I thought it was kind of an interesting article and pretty topical. Uh, I figured I'll put the doom and gloom stuff up front here, and then we'll talk about some more interesting things. Uh, or I, I would say not more interesting, but less, more lighthearted things, I guess. So uh, here's, here's the summary of the article. So in 2017, um, it was a particularly rough year for California. Now, this is an old article uh, from three years ago. And if you go look at the history of California over the last three years, they've, they've continued to experience the same problems, just fire year after year of fires. And, um, so, and, and more and more damage. Uh, so I'm sorry, back to the article. So 2017 was a particularly rough year for California as far as wildfires go. Uh, as of the time this article was written, there had been, uh, 8,771 fires burning, uh, 3,346 square miles, uh, at a cost of $13 billion. And also, you know, the, the, you can't really put a huge price or you can't put a fixed price on somebody's life, but there had been several people who died. Now the, the fires that are currently burning right now, I think seven people have died in those. And 
Um, it's something like, uh, actually, I can pull it up real quick. I think it's like uh, 1.35 million acres. I don't know how many square miles that is, but uh, quite a bit of quite a bit of property is on fire right now in the in the current fires. Um, now, California does have some characteristics. Uh, that make it a little bit more prone to fire. Uh, some of that does have to do with water management, which we'll, we'll probably get into a lot in this show because I'm from Northern California. And one of the big, big points of contention for Northern Californians is water management and what LA and San Francisco kind of force the more rural Northern parts of the state to do as far as water management goes. And actually my, my other article has to do with water management. Um, so that'll be kind of fun to get into it. But uh, there are things that are just natural characteristics of California that uh, cause it to have a lot of fires. So uh, things that people often cite as natural uh, causes is um, dry brush, dry fuel, and prevalence of wind. Now, this year, the most recent fires were caused by lightning strikes. There was a, a very dry uh, storms came through, caused a lot of lightning, and it and it lit a, a lot of these fires off. In 2017, I think it was... Uh, I think that was the campfire, but I could be mixing it up with the 2018 fire. And um, those were due to uh, poorly maintained power lines by the monopoly power company, PG&E, uh, which is a state-mandated uh, monopoly in California that does all of the power. And uh, that's another, also another, uh, another thing. So in 2017, uh, Governor Jerry Brown uh, jumped on the opportunity to promote his own brand of climate change statism. So he basically when those fires came out, he basically expanded the scope of government to try to account for the fire. And lo and behold, three years later, they're, they're still having issues and the government doesn't seem to be able to solve them. Um, the, I guess the more libertarian solution or the economic solution proposed by Christopher Wesley in this is that uh, private property rights play a key role in preventing disasters like wildfires and, and other disasters as well. But um, so, uh, the citizens of California can learn if they can learn that private property uh, plays a key role in fire prevention, then they might be able to prevent a number of uh, problems in the future concerning files, fi concer concerning wildfires. So the author asked us to uh, consider land in the South that is much less publicly owned. So like the Southeast uh, versus land in the Western states, um, and then also some fire statistics between the two. Now, the granted, these are not apples and oranges, or I guess they are apples and oranges kind of because they are very different climates, but uh, Texas plays into this a lot as well, and Texas is much less federally owned because of the way that Texas entered the union. Uh, and we, we hear, although we do get wildfires, we have them a lot less frequently than California, or they're in areas that people don't really care that much about that are largely federally owned or not populated at all. But um, so the author said, consider these states. So California is 45.3% uh, federally owned, Oregon 53.1%, Arizona 48.1%, and New Mexico 418 Now to contrast that to some of the Eastern states that he chose a similar, um, Florida 8.2% owned by the federal government, Georgia 3.8, South Carolina 2.9, and Alabama 1.6. And if you take a look at the history of a fire in these states, now granted the rural South um, is much uh, wetter, it, but Georgia does have issues with fire. Uh, they do; it does crop up every once in a while. But they're much smaller fires, and they're much shorter lived fires. 
And it is the author of this article's suggestion that in a lot of these places, the reason that they are uh, less is because the land is uh, typically privately owned. So when land is privately owned, landowners have an incentive to maintain the land. In parts of the country where land is private, it is much more common for landowners to monitor the land and clear up areas that might catch fire. Uh, It is also much more common for controlled burns to take place, especially when it is a dry season or they are experiencing or anticipating a drought. Now, this happens actually in Texas quite a bit. Is uh, if there's a drought coming or or there's a lot of dry debris or whatever, they'll they'll kind of clear it out with a controlled burn. This also happens in California. Actually, it's just that uh, doing that on private land in California is much more difficult because of onerous regulations and also the the amount of federally owned and state owned land in California. Um, so uh, federally owned land presents an entirely different incentive structure because it's not the people who are in control of it that have to deal with the problems. Uh, bureaucrats have their own pet goals that don't always include land maintenance. They, they, you know, they somebody becomes in charge of X forest because they care about Y issue. They don't, they don't become in charge of the forest because they care about maintaining the forest. They have their own pet project for it that they're interested in. Um, there is less ability. Uh, there's there's less liability uh, for federally owned land than there is for private land. So the incentives to maintain the public land is not the same as the incentives for maintaining the private land. So, for example, if my house catches on fire through negligence of mine, and it catches my neighbor's house on fire, I am liable for that. My insurance will probably pay it, but that will that that's a huge issue for me. Uh, if the federally owned park down the road catches on fire and it burns down this entire neighborhood, well, all of our insurances are on the hook for that. The federal government's not on the hook for that. Um, so that's kind of the that's that's sort of the kind of the reverse incentive on it. And then when emergencies do happen, bureaucrats tend to get more money and more power. So when an emergency like a fire happens at my house, I lose money and I lose power. Um, so, and that's kind of why the, there's like a reversed incentive in that as well. Um, so the, the assertions made in this article are actually, uh, backed up by statistics and he put some links in the article and I'll put that in the show notes, uh, where you, if you look at where most fires occur, they're mostly, they mostly occur in states where there is more government owned land, even in, in states that are drier, it's, it's usually in more government controlled land than ones that have more private land. And so there does seem to be a correlation there. Um, I'm sure the causation is debatable, but if you want to debate it with me, you know, feel free. You can, you can reach out to me um, on Twitter or which actually I got two Twitters. You can reach out to me at Childerberg on Twitter or at tasting anarchy on Twitter. And just let me know that this is for the California in exile. I haven't set up an account for this yet and we can talk about it. I'm I'm more than happy to uh, debate it. So, you know, to, I guess, wrap up that section, it's sad that the fires are going, but uh, I would like California to take a turn to more privatization so that they can do better fire control in the future and less damage to property. I mean, the, the, like I said, my other show is about wine. There's there's a tremendous amount of issues with uh, the wine industry and the fires. It's not just that the fires burn down wineries and stuff like that. It causes smoke and the smoke 
gets into the vineyards, it can cause uh, something called smoke taint in wine, which is these off flavors, and it kind of can ruin entire crops. Also, you know, wine aside, like my grandmother lives in Eldorado County still, and she's down in Southern California right now because it smokes too much for her. And uh, fortunately, she can do that. But there's a lot of people who can't afford to leave the area, and the smoke is very bad for them. Or if they have asthma or something like that, it's 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 really, uh, really rough. Uh, but speaking of water management earlier, I got another article that I think is kind of interesting. And this article is um, it's about a, a small hydroelectric dam in Pollock Pines, which is up up the freeway from where I lived, in, up a, a little bit further in the mountains. And um, it's by Don Hudson. I got it from the Mountain Democrat, which is a, an old newspaper in Eldorado County. I think it's in. I think it comes out of Placerville. And uh, the article is uh, Four Bay Full Again." More water storage, more hydroelectric power. So I think it's kind of a cool article, and it sort of ties into the the fire issue. This is uh, has to do with water management in California and Northern California in particular. Um, like I said, it, it is a point of contention for Northern Californians. And um, there are I like these kind of smaller localized water management projects because I think it's more sustainable and it makes uh, sustainable economically, but also environmentally. And it makes more sense to have many small projects like this than a few big projects because it ends up, I think it's a better way to manage the resources and also spread out the potentiality for failure. So I'll go ahead and summarize the article and then I'll point out a few things I think are are kind of funny about it. Uh, So this dam was actually constructed in 1923 as part of the El Dorado Hydroelectric Project. Uh, Nothing in particular was wrong with the dam, but California Department of Water Resources Division of Safety of Dams and the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission required that the dam be improved uh, to come into alignment with modern dam safety standards. The order was given in 2003 and took until 2017 to get the needed permits. Uh, This is editorial. I, I wrote a little thing. It took 14 years to get permits to do the work that the government ordered to be done, which I think is humorous. Uh, The improvements of the dam will increase the water reserve from one day of emergency water to six days of emergency water. Uh, It will also increase the electricity production. Uh, It currently averages about $8 million a year worth of electricity, and this should be increased by about $300,000. So it'll it'll produce about... uh, $8.3 million uh, annually in revenue. Uh, Now that the lake is full again, and uh, they stocked it with trout so that people can go fishing there. And um, there's also, I guess, some endangered turtles that they reintroduced that were being stored at the Oakland Zoo. And it's all, and um, water, it's a water habitat for like waterfowl, like ducks and geese and things like that. Uh, the renovations cost $26 million. So over the course of the next couple of years, it should mostly pay for itself, uh, less you know maintenance and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but uh, kind of an interesting thing. I didn't actually know this dam existed. I, I messaged my family about it who still live in the area. And my sister said her and her husband go up fishing there for trout uh, every once in a while. This is actually apparently been uh, mostly full and restocked for a little while, a couple months. And it's a pretty place to go walking. Uh, so if you, anybody's up in the Pog Pines area and you want a nice, you can't go swimming in this reservoir, but you can go on a nice walk and you can go fishing. And um, it's called the uh, Four Bay Hydroelectric Dam, I guess. Um, 
and uh, it's it's interesting to me. Now, the things that like I pointed out one of the things <laughs> interesting, or, or it, well, two things I think are particularly interesting about this. One is uh, it was constructed in 1923, and there was nothing wrong with it. So they've clearly they've done the good maintenance to it. The only reason they went ahead and did the, their maintenance was because the government ordered them to do it. The, the higher levels of government. And then even though they had an order from the higher levels of government, it took 14 years for them to do the required permitting to get the ability to do this, even though the higher level of government told them they had to do this. So what I'm curious about is if they did this environmental studies and all of the other studies and the structural studies and all the things that they had to do, uh, what would like I, I, what would happen if they determined that they were not allowed to do it? They're being ordered by one agency to do it. And then if they weren't able to get the permits from another agency because of, you know, some sort of environmental regulation or other type of regulation, um, what, I don't, I don't understand what would happen. Would they just leave it empty or, uh, you know, it's just kind of an interesting, just sort of an interesting situation. This actually comes up in a lot of the articles. Like I chose this article because it's a little more lighthearted and it's from an area that I'm a little bit familiar with, which is Pollock Pines. And, but I, like I, as I read a lot of these articles looking for stuff, this seems to come up a lot where they'll be like, this agency ordered them to do something. And then they have to go through years and years and years of permitting to be able to do the thing that they were ordered to do. It would seem to me that like if you're ordered to do something, it would be that agency's responsibility to make sure you could do that thing. Because like, I mean, somebody could come and order me to, you know, jump to the moon or whatever. I can't jump to the moon. That's just not a possibility. And I guess a better analogy would be like, if somebody was like, I order you to go through that door and then I go and I, Hey, it's locked. And they're like, well, that's your problem. I go, okay. Like, but you ordered me to go through it. So like, what's, I, I don't understand. I don't understand what they would do. <laughs> so that's so just kind of a weird thing, but you know, it's nice though that they've got now they'll have a, a, a nice emergency source of local water. This can be used in case of a fire. Uh, which is nice. And there is some uh, electricity being generated locally in uh, a mostly environmentally uh, sustainable way. A a micro hydro uh, dam is is nice and it's a good way to generate electricity. And um, one thing that's cool about generating electricity near to where you live is that a lot of electricity is actually lost when it is uh, transmitted over power lines. And so when you are generating it closer to you, it's more efficient. Now, in this case, uh, all of the power has to be sold to PG&E because it's the it's the monopoly power provider in 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 California, and they have to pay them a specific rate. Uh, so it doesn't actually nobody can like if you live next door to this dam or down the street from this dam, you can't like negotiate with the dam to get some of the power. You you do have to buy it directly from PG&E, and PG&E has to buy it from them, which is interesting. Uh, I don't know if that's a better way or or not a better way to do it. Uh, and then as far as the water goes. Uh, you know, there is a drought in California. It seems like it's a perpetual drought and they'll be able to use this water in case there's a problem. And and that's another thing similar to power. When you're transmitting or trying to transport water from far away to somewhere else, uh, it you you lose a lot of it, particularly in like the California aqueduct, which uh, actually I don't think is up this far, but it, it's a, a, south, a southern uh, aqueduct that takes water down. That's open. So a lot of it evaporates with with it being close to you and it and not having to transport it as far uh it tends to be a little bit more efficient which is nice uh and now for the closing segment which is 
sort of a good memory thing, but uh, also relevant, I think, to the fire stuff. My sister it was up trimming some trees, and I happened to be talking. I don't know why we were talking about this, but there is a a lake uh, up in – well, it's a reservoir, actually, and it is up in um, – Northern California, it's in Shasta. This is the well, the lake itself is it's in Shasta County, but it's on Shasta Lake is a rest stop that is off of Highway Five. So for people who don't live in California or don't don't travel by the freeway system uh, as much as we did when we were kids, uh, there are rest areas all over the place in California, and they're you know as much as I am not a huge fan of the state. California does a pretty good job with the rest areas. The rest areas are usually very nice and well-maintained. Uh, it's probably revenue negative, but I like them. And um, there, I have a lot of fond memories with a lot of these because we didn't have a huge amount of money growing up and also large families. So going to a restaurant was very expensive. So what my mom often did when we were going to go somewhere far away is she would she would pack up sandwiches and stuff in a cooler and then – when we were taking a very long trip that maybe took more than a day or, or even if it was just several hours, uh, we would stop at rest areas. And there is one rest area in particular on Lake Shasta that we like to stop at. And it's the O'Brien safety roadside rest area. And, uh, it's just a pretty rest area. It's got a nice view over one of the inlets on the lake. And, one of the reasons that, like I said, this came up, my sister was up there. She, she's an arborist. So she does a lot of tree trimming and stuff. And up in that area, uh, she was doing some tree trimming and she sent us pictures going over, uh, a, a bridge and it's, um, the pit river bridge. So it's, it goes right across, uh, the lake. It's a pretty, pretty big bridge actually. And I recognized it and was immediately kind of going like, Oh my gosh, uh, you should stop at the, the O'Brien, uh, rest area because it's really close to where you are. And, uh, it's just, it's a cool place. I, I'm going to put a link to it in the show notes. I know that it's sort of a weird, a weird thing for me to, I guess, bring up, but this is the kind of thing that I was going to, I wanted to talk about a little bit. In the show is just to kind of share fond memories of different places and looking at the area, if the smoke ever dissipates and they stop having fires and stuff, I think I might come out here and, uh, go camping for a couple of days. There is, uh, a cavern system nearby that I didn't know existed. Although I, I'm surprised that we never stopped at uh, a cave. Cause those are, those, that's, that's another thing that we stopped at several of, or, or maybe multiple times at the same one. I don't know, but um, w- there's uh, cave systems near there. So that's kind of cool. And it's in, and also, I mean, up in Shasta, there's a lot of, uh, you know, just pretty scenery and great places to go hiking and that kind of stuff. So if you're ever up in the area in uh, Shasta County, uh, it's a pretty rural county, and, but it's really pretty. And uh, you can go uh, hang out on Shasta Lake for a couple of days. And uh, that's it. Also, stop by the O'Brien Safety Roadside Rest Area and, and and walk around the loop a couple of times. That's what my grandma always had us do. We'd get out and we'd just walk around briskly around the loop a couple of times and sit down, eat some sandwiches. Uh, this particular rest area, down in the part of California I'm from, they don't have these. They have just regular Blue Jays, but they have the Crested Blue Jays up there. We used to love seeing those Crested Blue Jays. And... Uh, smells great up there because of all the pine trees and stuff like that. So it's just a really cool place to stop. Uh, really well maintained rest area and big rest area too. If you, if you got a pet, you can you can let the pet out. But I think you're not allowed to have it on the lawn, if I recall. But uh, they have a designated pet area. So check that out. That's all I got to say this week. Uh, join me next time. If you have any questions or comments, let me know. Hit me up at, at Childerberg on Twitter or at Tasting Anarchy on Twitter, and I'll get back to you.